Welcome to the G3 Podcast. I'm Virgil Walker. I'm joined by Josh Bice and Scott Annual. Uh, man, we're excited to be back. Uh, this is a, our, our brand new season of the G3 Podcast. We have an amazing season uh, planned for you. Today, uh, I'm excited because we've got a special guest who's going to be joining us. And this is right before right before we start the conference, yeah. which is we're, we're on the heels of as we, as we begin. Absolutely. It's good to be back with you, brothers. Yeah, it's going to be a great season. We're looking forward to sharing the season with you guys as well. We have a really important podcast today. We're going to be talking about a very important subject matter, which is the doctrine of creation, the history of Genesis 1 through 11, and the importance of that that bedrock doctrine. We're also going to be joined by Ken Ham, who's going to be speaking at the upcoming yeah. 2023 G3 National yeah, Conference. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't gotten your ticket, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> I, I would pull an RC Sproul, what's wrong with you people? Uh, <laughs> but we're kind of late in the game for that. What I would encourage you to do, though, if if you're watching this podcast and you still want to come and can make it to join us September 21st through the 23rd here in Atlanta for this amazing national conference, 2022 G3 National Conference. 2020. 2023. Did yes. I say 22? Yeah, I know. You know, COVID messes people up sometimes. <laughs> You know, we're like a year off, I think. But, you know, G3 never canceled a conference. So. The 2023 G3 National Conference. If you can make it, if you're able to join us, uh, come. Uh, we'll get you. We'll meet you at the door. Even if you're not able to join us, come. Even if you're not able to join us, come. You want to be a <laughs> You want to be a part. Uh, show up. We'll figure out a way to get you a ticket. I'll figure out a way to get you, and I even may get you into the 2022 conference yeah, if yeah. I'm not careful. But well, there's an app for that. There's. <laughs> True. <laughs> there is an app for that. That said, listen, excited about the conference. Join us. Go to g3men.org to find out more information. Um, again, it's going to be an amazing time. Yeah, Scott, what's happening with the yeah, press? Yeah, let me just recommend uh, one book that we've just released that very much ties into our connection today, uh, our discussion today, and that is uh, the book Dividing the Faithful by David Schrock. David mm. uh, has a, a book-length critique of a book that really did divide churches, and and that is divided by faith, uh, and and all of the CRT social justice things that have happened in recent years. This is an important corrective, and so that book is available right now at g3min.org. Encourage you to go take a look at that book. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a that's a great book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as we think about this doctrine today, as we think about creation itself, and um, really the history of Genesis 1 through 11, it is paramount that we get this right. Yeah. Because if you don't get this right, you're going to fall into all sorts of errors along the way. And I'm sure we're going to hear Ken you know, walk us through some of that as we talk mm-hmm. to him in just a moment. But as we set the stage for the conversation, we need to be thinking about the way the Bible opens. It opens with you know, God speaking and miraculous things happening. Mm-hmm. And then we see the full unveiling of who God is in the scriptures and, and God's redemptive story unfolding in, in, in our own personal lives. Yeah. And then, of course, the way that the scriptures close at the very end of the biblical canon demonstrates that God is a, is a sovereign, miraculous God who is in control of all things. Yeah. And that when God speaks and when God wills for something to happen, then those things come to pass. And so if we discount the miraculous in the opening pages of Scripture, then we're going to be tempted to discount and to really walk away from the miraculous when it comes to the incarnation, 
when it comes to the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Christ, when it comes to the miracle of salvation. You know, all of this is 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 critical. If you deny, if the devil can cause you to deny the historical Adam in Genesis, yeah. then what's to say that the same ancient dragon can't cause you to doubt the the literal you know, revelation of the last Adam, who is the son of the living God. Yeah. This is critically important. One of the, and you're exactly right. I, I think you, one of the things you said is is how foundational uh, Genesis 1 through 11 is. I, I think one of the things that, that impacted me as I was coming along, kind of learning about Genesis, learning about creation, I kind of tipped my toe in, in the water of, of just kind of the, the evolutionary idea around it. So you had, you had apologists like William Lane Craig who kind of added millions and millions of years uh, to, that, to the idea that, that that's the created order in an effort to kind of I- impact the, the scientific world. Uh, embracing those ideas, reading reading millions of years into the text, uh, and then as a result, you get a totally different view of your apologetic. Now, rather than arguing for the God of the Bible, you're arguing for a potential God. You yeah, know? <clears throat> and, and that that's a, that's problematic in a number of different ways. Yeah, when I this is such an important topic. When I was ordained to, to ministry years ago, a deacon in the church that ordained me said. Tell me what you believe about Genesis chapter 1. You tell me what you believe about Genesis 1, that's all I need to know about your theology. You probably overstated that a bit, sure. but the underlying truth is is absolutely true. Yeah. How you interpret the first 11 chapters of the Bible reveals the presuppositions by which you're going to interpret the rest of Scripture. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. A very important topic. Yeah. All right. So today we're joined by Ken Ham, who is the founder and CEO of Answers in Genesis. And you might know that organization because of the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. So, Ken, welcome to the G3 podcast. Hey, thank you. Great to be with you. And in fact, I'm at the Creation Museum and uh, that's what's right behind me right now. Fantastic. Many good memories uh, from my days as a student at Southern Seminary, traveling up to the Creation Museum. Really, really good work that you guys do there. But as we begin this conversation today, it's no secret that Genesis is under attack. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about the, the literary genre of Genesis itself, but what I'm really referring to is the content of Genesis. And so as we look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, why do you believe that those chapters are under such a steady attack in our culture today? Well, let me make a, a statement that might be a shock to some people. But Genesis 1 to 11 is actually the foundation for everything. Everything. There's nothing it's not the foundation for. All of our doctrine is founded in Genesis. Ultimately, every uh, biblical doctrine of theology, directly or indirectly, is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. I mean, you think about it. Where's the origin of sin? Genesis. Death? Genesis. Marriage? Genesis. Gender? Genesis. Uh, why did Jesus die on the cross? Genesis. Why is he called the last Adam? Genesis. Why do we have to work and work hard? Doctrine of work? Genesis. Why does man have dominion over the creation and not the other way around? Genesis. Why do we wear clothes? Well, the animals don't wear clothes. God gave clothes because of sin. Genesis. Genesis 1 to 11 is a foundation for everything. And if you want to deal with any issue, it doesn't matter what the issue is. It could be fossils, age of earth, uh, it could be abortion, racism. Uh, you you want to deal with any issue at all, you have to start from Genesis 1 to 11 to build the right worldview 
to deal with those issues. And that's why I believe Genesis has come under incredible attack, because it's the foundation for the rest of the Bible. It's the foundation for our worldview. It's the foundation for all doctrine. It's the foundation for everything. And the devil knows you get rid of that foundation. There's only one other foundation, and that is man's word. And, you know, that's the battle that started back there in Genesis 3, a battle between God's word and man's word. And unfortunately, because much of the church hasn't stood on Genesis 1 to 11, we have been losing generations from the church. And, you know, even you think of a, a young person who's gone to public school where they buy basically thrown out, you know, God, Bible, prayer, creation, their foundation is man's word, and they're in the church and the LGBT movement comes along, if they don't have the foundation of Genesis, they have no foundation for marriage, you can understand why LGBT can capture them so easily. We've got to have the right foundation. Yeah, fantastic. Well, on that very point, as we consider uh, you know, the, the culture around us, we hear a, a constant barrage of opinions and people consistently saying things like science is opposed to the Bible. When you hear that, what would be your objection to such a statement? Well, you know, when someone says that, science is opposed to the Bible, science versus the Bible, I mean, Bill Nye said that back in 2014 when I debated him. And the first thing I say to people is, what do you mean by the word science? Most people, they can't really tell you. In fact, when you ask most people what is science, you'll get you know a million different definitions, I think. If you look up the meaning of the word science, it comes from the... Uh, Latin scientia, which means to know. So the word science really means knowledge, state of knowing or knowledge. And one of the things we need to understand is that there's different sorts of science and observational science, using your five senses in the present, uh, investigating our world, what we call empiricism, based on the repeatable test, that builds our technology. That's why we have airplanes, computers, uh, and so on. And doesn't matter whether you're Christian or an atheist, you know, creationist, we all believe in that science, right? Uh, that's why we can talk like this on an interview uh, using computers uh, because of science. So, yes, we love science. Actually, I went to a secular university in Australia and was approved to be a science teacher. So I must have done something right in regard to science. Now, when it comes to talking about origins, talking about our past, you've stepped outside of that sort of science. You know, we weren't there to see God make the world, but secularists weren't there to see the supposed Big Bang happen billions of years ago, supposedly. We weren't there to see God make uh, Adam and Eve, but the secularists weren't there to see man supposedly evolve from ape-like creatures. So when it comes to historical science, that's something very, very different. And what I say to people is this, uh, that observational science does not contradict the Bible. In fact, it confirms God's word over and over again, and we can give numerous examples. But the historical science of man, their beliefs about origins, and the historical science of the Bible, God's record of origins for us, are in conflict. And we need to then stand back and admit they're two different beliefs about the past. Of course, I would say it's God's word that's true. Man's word is not. Yeah. Fantastic. In fact, as we think about that conflict, the mainstream common worldview regarding the existence of the world is Darwinian evolutionary theory. And so what is the best argument that you could provide to explain that the use of day, the word day, yom, in Genesis is a literal 24-hour day? 
And 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 by the way, just before I do that, just uh, say something here. Be a, maybe a little um, controversial. Uh, I don't even allow evolution to be called a theory because a theory implies there is scientific evidence to support it. Mm. So we call evolution a belief, actually. Um, but anyway, uh, so Good. when it comes to the days of creation, you know, I, I've had pastors say to me, but the word day can mean something other than ordinary day. And my answer to that is, of course it can. But the point is, it can also mean an ordinary day. <laughs> so it's it's not whether it can mean something other than ordinary day. You look up a Hebrew dictionary, Hebrew lexicon, you know, like Brown Driver Briggs or Cola Baumgartner or, or, you know, some of those respected uh, lexicons, you'll find a number of different meanings for the word day. And it's from the Hebrew word yom. So the point is, when does yom mean an ordinary day? That's the question we should be asking. And you'll find when it's qualified by a number in particular, uh, or evening or morning, or you have the phrase evening and morning, or qualified by the word night, it means an ordinary day. And in Genesis 1, you've got each of the days of creation, the six days of creation and the seventh, qualified by a number. And for day one, it's qualified by night, evening and morning. And for the other days, it's qualified by evening and morning as well as a number. So the point is, from a perspective of the Hebrew language, you can come to no other conclusion than the six days of creation were ordinary days based upon the Hebrew language, based upon the contextual usage of the word yom. So that's why I take a stand on six literal days. Wow. Very good. Yeah. And as, as we think about that very subject, many evangelicals today have been influenced in many ways to accept various views like the day-age theory to explain the age of the earth. Why is it that you would resist that, and why is it that you would encourage believers today to actually believe the literal text of Scripture as the ordinary reading of and the plain reading of the text of Scripture in Genesis? Let me use a sort of a practical example here to explain this. I was on a, a radio interview with a minister once, a Presbyterian minister, actually. And he said to me, now, look, you must admit, uh, in the church, we can have different views of baptism, sprinkling immersion, different views about speaking in tongues, different views of Sabbath day, you know, different views, eschatology, pre-mill, R-mill, post-mill, windmill. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, we can have all these different views uh, in these sorts of areas. And I said, yes, that is true. And he said, and we have different views in Genesis too. It's the same thing. And we should just allow those. I said, no, it's not the same thing. No, if you can, if you can understand this point, you'll understand why we're so adamant about standing on uh, uh, Genesis's literal history. It's, it's because of this. See, when we're arguing about baptism, Sabbath day, speaking in tongues, eschatology, primarily we're arguing from the Scripture. We'll say, well, over here this verse says it. Yeah, but over here this says this. Yeah, but if you take this in context, this says this. Yeah, well, what about this verse here in Revelation? Well, what about this? That's how we, we're primarily arguing. But when it comes to Genesis, it's, um, well, the Bible says six days. Oh, yeah, but scientists say yeah, but it says God made Adam from dust. Yeah, but wait a minute, science says. And the bottom line is the reason we have so many different views of Genesis, whether it be gap theory, uh, day-age theory, progressive creation, framework hypothesis, you know, progressive creation. I mean, you can list a whole lot of them. They all have one thing in common, by the way. The one thing they have in common, every one of them, 
It's taking millions of years and trying to fit it into the Bible. And this is what we need to be asking. Are we really starting from Scripture, what we were called good exegesis, and letting it in context speak to us according to the literature, the language, you know, the rules of the language? Are we letting it speak to us? Or are we actually starting from outside and taking something to it and reinterpreting it, thus you're undermining biblical authority. And that's the reason we see this as such a dangerous thing, because it has to do with undermining the authority of Scripture right at the beginning. And that's what I believe they're doing in Genesis when they compromise it with, I call it compromise, with the day-age theory, uh, the gap theory, whatever it is. They're starting outside of Scripture to go to Scripture. Therein lies the issue. That's called eisegesis. Yeah, Yeah. amen. We would say a hearty amen to that and full agreement. Uh, Ken, this summer I had the wonderful privilege to spend uh, more than a week in the Grand Canyon on the Christian Leaders trip along with Terry Mortensen and others, and what I experienced was unbelievable. Uh, and so I, I just think of of really the records, the the fossil record, the you know all of the rock layers, all of it really speaks to you know the trustworthiness of Genesis. But could you speak to the treasure that the Grand Canyon is as we think about being able to go there and visit and see for ourselves what's there on display in those canyons? Uh, in terms of being able to trust what Genesis actually says. Now, again, we're all going to, you know, uh, agree with what you said a moment ago about, you know, a presuppositional approach to Scripture. So we're going to go to the Scriptures and believe what the Scriptures say, and then look at general revelation, obviously. But why is the Grand Canyon so unique and useful? Well, you know, the Grand Canyon is probably used as a showcase by the secularists for millions of years. I mean, it really is. It's used as that um, around the world. And, you know, when even when I went to university in Australia, uh, that here it is, the showcase for evolution. You've got all these layers and many fossils in many of those layers, and you've got this massive canyon. The Colorado River took millions of years to erode the canyon. The layers were laid down over millions of years. And uh, basically, you know, when you go there today, I mean, the story is from the park ranges and the signs, a long time and a little bit of water did this. Now, when I go there, I say, well, a lot of water and a little bit of time did this (laughs) Uh, because I have a different way of explaining it. When I debated Bill Nye in 2014, one of the things I said to Bill Nye was this. Look, if you and I went to the Grand Canyon, we could agree on this is the Coconino Sandstone. We could agree on how thick the Coconino sandstone is. We could agree on the size of the sand grains. But we're going to disagree on when it was laid down and how long it took to be laid down. We agree on the things we see. We don't agree on the things we didn't see. And that's the point. The Grand Canyon exists in the present. Whatever formed it happened in the past. Now, when I start from Scripture... And I say, well, first of all, I don't believe there was death before sin. There are fossils in those layers. I don't believe those fossils were formed before man sinned. The Bible says there was a global flood. If there was, you'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth, which is what you find. So when you look at the Grand Canyon, is there another way of explaining it? Usually we're told, oh, look at the river down the bottom, the river eroded the canyon. But actually when you do measurements of how much sediment that the Colorado River 
uh, takes away, even in flood time, there's not enough time in, in there, suppose, millions of years to erode the canyon anyway. Um, and actually, if you look downstream, you'll see massive surge deposits indicating there's been some catastrophic things happen to uh, lay down uh, the sediment that was taken out of the Grand Canyon. The whole area is uplifted. And when you look at the layers, uh, you see that they're bent. If they were laid down over millions of years, they should have been broken. There should be metamorphic processes that have turned them uh, into you know, sedimentary rock, into metamorphic rock. Not only that, when you look at those layers, you can look, there's one layer right on top of another, and the secularists will say there's 30 million years missing here. Over here, there's 130 million years missing. But is it missing or is it never there? Because if it was missing for millions of years, you should see all sorts of erosion and evidence of burrowing animals. You don't see any of that. Uh, and it's interesting, behind the Grand Canyon, you see er where there were once three great lakes you see the evidence of those Great Lakes. The water's not there now. But, you know, Psalm 104, I think, could indicate how God ended the flood, raised up the mountains, lowered the ocean basins. The water poured off the earth into the ocean basins. That area was raised up when it was soft. You see the bent layers. Uh, couldn't have been laid, raised up when they were millions of years old. Formed a dam while the sediment was still soft. There was fracturing because of the raising up. Uh, the dam broke. The, the canyon was gouged out. Uh, that's why you find surge deposits down downstream, and that allowed the Colorado River to flow through. And, you know, something similar on a miniature scale happened at Mount St. Helens in, uh, in 1980, when because of that eruption, there, there were sediment, thousands of, of layers laid down quickly. Uh, there were canyons carved by hard rock, even through basalt rock, very quickly that allowed, for instance, the North Fork of the Toodle River to flow through. You go there today, you'd interpret it as millions of years to erode the canyon and lay down the layers and so on. So the, the Grand Canyon, we would say, is a monument to catastrophe, the catastrophe of Noah's flood. Mm, that's good. good. That's good. Ken, one of the issues that often comes up in recent days that's very much connected to our beliefs about creation is all of the talk about climate change, global warming, all of this stuff. Can you, can you help us think through how to measure fact from fiction when it comes to what we hear about climate change, global warming? Yes, there's a lot we can talk about in regard to that topic. Um, you know, I remember when I was talking to Bill Nye and we we're being interviewed, I think it was on CNN, and um, I, I was told um, that I believe I didn't believe in climate change. And I said, but I do believe in climate change. And I said, there's been climate change ever since the flood. So the flood caused massive climate change. And we believe the flood generated an ice age uh, that sort of peaked within hundreds of years of the flood as well. And that we're still in the ending phases of the ice age, even now. You know, you can go to Wyoming and see where the great, great glacial valleys were carved once, and but those glaciers have all melted back. So first of all, if you don't believe in biblical history and you don't believe in the flood and you don't believe in the ice age, you, you're going to totally misunderstand, you know, climate change in that sense. Um, secondly, there's, there's a, a reminder, you know, right now, I think, you know, Greta Thornburg in the Netherlands and you've got some of the uh, politicians like John Kerry and Al Gore and others, uh, AOC, talking about this countdown clock that if we keep going the way we are, we're going to destroy the earth within six to seven years or so, or some might say 10, whatever it is, and they've got this countdown clock. Genesis 8.22 
after the flood, God said, while the earth remains, sea time and harvest, day and night, summer and winter, will not cease. In other words, we're not going to destroy the earth. God's going to destroy the earth at the right time in the future, but we're not going to destroy the earth. And, you know, when it comes to greenhouse gases, most people don't realize carbon dioxide is minuscule. The main greenhouse gas is water vapor. Also, it's well known that phases of the sun greatly affect climate on this earth. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I remember learning a poem in Australia when I was a little kid, you know, I love a sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, of, of um, rugged mountain ranges, of droughts and flooding rains, because there's always been droughts and floods and so on. These days, whenever there's a drought or a flood, even in America, it's climate change. You know, Th think about the dust bowl in the Midwest in, in years past when all those farms are all turned to dust and so on. And, and, and there, there's an aspect that um, is happening in the Christian world as well as the secular world. There's an aspect of the younger generations um, having history deleted. Mm -hmm. And in other words, if you really understand history and go back and check it out, there were more tornadoes in the 70s than there are now. Of course, we've had massive floods in the past, even in California. There's been, you know, they call it the 100-year flood that can occur and so on. Um, but but a lot of young people don't realize about history, and we haven't measured climate, you know, haven't measured a lot of things for that long anyway, 100 years or so. So there's a lot we don't know. You know, the same's happened in the church with we get rid of the history in Genesis. Once you get rid of the history, then you have all wrong thinking in the present in regard to things that are going on. And I would say this just to, yeah, there's a lot more we could say, obviously, and we could talk about, you know, has it really been warming? Uh, there's, is there now a cooling trend? Uh, things go up and down. This earth is very resilient the way God made it. The current climate change uh, movement is actually a religion. It's an anti-God religion. Mm -hmm. I heard John Kerry come back from the World Economic Forum and say, um, there's an elite group of people that are going to save mankind and save the planet. Mm -hmm. And you see, that's what they think. They think we can save ourselves. We can save the planet. Man is in charge. That's man being his own God. That's what it's all about. And it's a worship of man. We've got to remember something. God gave man dominion over the creation, not the other way around. It doesn't mean we abuse it. We need to look after it, but we can use it for man's good and God's glory. Right now, the current climate change movement has the creation having dominion over man. Mm -hmm. And think about the anti-Christian worldview in creating fear in regard to young people who say we're not going to have children, right? You know, and and so on, all because of this fear that's being created. No, it's an it's an anti-Christian worldview. Yeah, amen to that. You know, the point you made a moment ago stresses the, the necessity of teaching our children, teaching people in our congregations, the, the scriptures and these important truths. Uh, I brought my family to the Ark and the Creation Museum last December. It was our second visit. Such a wonderful educational experience. Can you help our listeners uh, understand really the value of taking the time to take a trip to the Creation Museum and the Ark? Well, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter are the two leading Christian-themed attractions in the world, and the whole purpose of them, I know I've been asked by the secular media many times, okay, what are you really trying to do here? And uh, I say, well, to tell people the history in the Bible is true, 
and therefore the gospel uh, based in that history is true. And I remember one reporter from CNN saying to me, so you admit you're deliberately trying to get people saved? <laughs> and I said, absolutely. And he looked at me and said, oh, oh, that's refreshing. Okay. Um, it, it, you know, we are on about the Bible. We're on about the gospel message. But we're on about apologetics. And we know that there are a lot of questions people have about the Bible today. How do you know there's a God? Well, how can Noah get the animals on the ark? Well, wait a minute. You know, what about natural selection? Well, what do you do with dinosaurs? Well, what about death and suffering? Well, how do you understand fossils? Well, what about the age of the earth? And the whole point of building these attractions was to do something at a world-class level uh, that answers the most asked questions of the day that cause people to doubt God's word and to point them to the truth of God's word and the gospel. And so the Creation Museum, we walk people through the whole Bible. We have a planetarium, 4D theater. We have an insectarium. We have the most uh, powerful pro-life exhibit in the world. Uh, we exhibit on dinosaurs at the Ark. We have all sorts of things like a zoo, and we have a virtual reality experience. You can walk through all three decks, 130 exhibits, answering questions like how could we get the animals on the Ark? How many kinds were really needed? How did Noah look after them? What, what about the Ice Age after the flood? What about the event of the Tower of Babel? Dealing with all those sorts of issues. And the, the thing is, they are very different in that we have people come there that would normally not go to church. First of all, 30% of those who come are non-Christian. But I've seen groups of Hindus, Muslims. Uh, there's um, uh, We've seen Sikhs. Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, there'll be Catholic nuns. There'll be priests, lots of Amish, Mennonite, Presbyterians, uh, Methodists. There's even Baptists. Uh, I mean, we get... We get a whole range of people who come, who you wouldn't see that mix normally in a church. You just wouldn't see it. And we do get testimony of people being saved. And uh, in fact, right now we're running our 40 days of uh, Christian music, biggest Christian music festival in the world. We use it to preach the word. And we know that there's been over a thousand people who said they committed their lives to the Lord as a result of hearing uh, the message of salvation there. So uh, these are evangelistic. They're great for parents to bring their kids, to equip their kids, to equip themselves to witness to others, bring their non-Christian friends, challenges them. Uh, these are incredible facilities. And we get thousands of people coming every day from across America and around the world. Yeah. Well, Ken, we're, we're thankful for your work and the work that you've done for years now. And uh, just pushing forward the importance of Genesis 1 through 11. And uh, Earlier you mentioned it being kind of the foundation for all things uh, related to identity, to who we are, to how we understand things. When we think about our culture today, the whole world is, uh, is really consumed, especially here in America, with the idea of the multiplicity of human races. Uh, so as we think about that, especially as you as you consider kind of the hostility uh, that that's fomented with things like critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, the polarization that we see within uh, within society. How, do, how does Genesis 1 through 11 speak to these issues in particular? How can we point to to Genesis to, to really unpack the issue about races? Well, you know, um, 
you, you, you've hit upon something there that's very, very important. When you consider all the issues, it, it doesn't matter whether it's gay marriage, the LGBT issue, the gender issue, racism, prejudice, the abortion issue, euthanasia, pedophilia. I mean, we could name off all these. And a lot of Christians have, have said to me, how do we deal with all these problems? There's so many different problems. You know, we can't just deal with every problem. And I said, but you've got to understand something. They're all the same problem. Right, they're different symptoms. Mm -hmm. The problem is they've got the wrong foundation of man's word. Right, and if they've all got, if they're all the same problem, they all have the same solution. What is the solution? It's the truth of God's word mm -hmm. and the saving gospel. That's always been the solution. And so, if you're dealing with the issue of, of race, racism, and so on, what's the solution? Well, ultimately, the only solution is you got to believe the true history God has given us in Genesis that we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, which yes. means there's only one race biologically, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And when you look at, you know, Darwin's ideas of different races, lower races, higher, some are closer to the apes than others, which fueled a particular type of racism, the, the point is when we look around the world, we see distinct people groups, but they're not races. Mm -hmm. uh, even the Human Genome Project in the year 2000, when they mapped the human genome, they announced to the world there's only one human race. Of right. course there is. Christians should have jumped up and said, been telling you that all along. <laughs> you know, um, this is just science confirming the Bible's history, which is important for the gospel because the gospel is for every language, tribe, nation, every people, because we're all sinners, mm -hmm. because we're all of Adam's race. And so what a difference when you start from uh, God's word. And, you know, when you think of CRT, just from a big picture perspective, is its foundation God's word or man's word? Well, it's not God's word, it's man's word. So the worldview is by and large going to be in error. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean people don't take some things that are true and mix it in with it all, right? right? Um, but CRT also... Uh, indoctrinates people to judge people according to their outside the bible says don't judge according to the outside it's your inside it's your heart that matters you know it's, a, it's the same you mentioned the word identity well today basically people are told your identity is who you think you are who right. you feel you are right right but from a christian perspective we can't trust our feelings because we have a sin nature so you've got to judge your feelings against god's word so again the solution to all of that is God's word. And, you know, I I give all sorts of lectures on this and on the fact we're all one race, one blood, we're all equal before God, we all are sinners, we all need sal salvation. Um, but it was the Tower of Babel when God gave different languages that caused people to move away from each other. And because of the genetic diversity in our DNA, you can have different combinations of genes resulting in minor differences on the outside, like skin color. You know, many people would, would say, I had them say to me all the time, well, how can you how can you say we go back to Adam and Eve when there's black people and white people? And in fact, CRT divides people pretty well into black and white in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, but technically, from a scientific perspective, there are no black people, there are no white people. Um, I'm not white. I mean, if I was if I was white, I'd be like a white sheet of paper, right? Um, but I'm not white. We're all shades of brown because we have a pigment called melanin, our main pigment. If you have a lot, you can be dark, uh, not as much your light. You're everywhere in between. The majority in the world are middle brown. 
And it's just a minor difference on the outside because of our genetics. That's all it is. And once you start to understand these things, what a difference it makes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was just speaking recently at a church in Georgia and two different families came out that had children they'd adopted um, from around the world. And they were from dark skin through to light skin. And the parents came out and said, all our kids were sitting there beaming pointing at us and saying, because the parents were light-skinned, we're the same color as you. (laughs) And they thought it was absolutely great. And another family came out and said, I really like what you said because our our kids and our family, we're called a biracial family, but you're telling me there's only one race. We're not. We don't have biracial kids. And our kids turned to me and said, we're not biracial. We're one race. What a difference when you have the right foundation from God's word. Exactly. Man, that's powerful. Wonderful to hear. We are last question for you. We're going to be gathering soon for our upcoming G3 National Conference under the theme of the sovereignty of God. And uh, God is sovereign in all things, especially with regard to creation, as you uh, unpacked for us here. Your session on Saturday will be uh, Saturday morning will be titled The Sovereignty of God in Creation. Can you give us a little bit of a, a little bit of a preview as to what you're going to be talking about and communicating during that session? Uh, well, I've already given you the preview. I've answered all the <laughs> questions you've asked me, and to be honest, that is the preview. Uh, right. So it is going to be the sovereignty of God in creation and helping us understand what that means mm-hmm. in regard to the foundation for our thinking in every area yeah. and the implication of that in every area. Uh, and so I'm going to be uh, focusing on that and getting people to understand that what God has revealed to us as the sovereign creator as regard to uh, the history of this universe and what happened to it is absolutely foundational for us to understanding what we should do as a Christian in every area, what we should believe in every area of our life, how we should deal with any issue whatsoever. And it's going to go back to the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Um, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's you know, right. I, and really what, I, what I'm going to do is in, in everything that I teach, I build a house. You don't build a house from the roof down. You build a house from the foundation up. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to be building a house. That's great. That's great. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Ken, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be with us for the G3 podcast. Hey, thank you. We look forward to seeing you in just a few days. Actually, we're going to be gathered together in Atlanta for the G3 National Conference. Until then, may God bless you. All right. Well, that was a fascinating conversation. Really good to be with Ken, for him to join us for this podcast. Looking forward to having him with us at the conference. But really, the things that he unpacked today are so relevant for everything that we see in the culture around yeah, us. Yeah, right. absolutely. I, I mean, we saw that the, when I got to ask the question about critical race theory, uh, issues around the LGBTQ community and all of that. All of those issues are issues of identity. Who are we? Uh, the pages of Scripture open up with, A, revealing who God is, uh, and only in light of that can we truly understand who indeed we are. One of the things I loved about what he talked about, uh, I, I wrote this down, the, the importance of, of thinking about uh, 
uh, about the Bible from a standpoint of observational science and how that science is validated by Scripture. So there's not this dichotomy between, okay, the Bible is over here and it doesn't have anything to say about the world in which we live. No, in fact, scientists or those who are going to study things look at the world in which we live and make observations about it and validate those observations through the pages of Scripture. That's exactly the right way to say it because so many Christians fall into the trap of feeling like they have to explain Scripture in light of secular science, right. Right. which reveals our ultimate authority. That's the issue. What is, what, is the, what is our authoritative starting point going to be? Is it going to be our own reason and our own observation, or is our starting point going to be Scripture? Yeah. And so instead of trying to explain Scripture in light of science, right. we should try to explain what we observe in the physical world in light of what we read in Scripture. Absolutely. And when we do that, we can explain it all because Scripture is sufficient. It's not a scientific textbook, right. but if you assume that Scripture is God's revelation and you assume that Scripture is true, there's nothing in this universe that cannot be explained in light of the authoritative revelation it, of the Bible. Even, even those who, who lay the foundation or, 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 or get their, their answers, their presuppositions on the basis of science still have presuppositions, right? right? Their, their, their belief is that science is true, exactly. that science is right, that science is accurate, and based upon that accuracy, they're going to then therefore examine what Scripture has to right. say. They, they charge those of us who believe Scripture with circular reasoning, right. yeah. and, and that's true. We're starting with Scripture, uh-huh. but they're, they have the same problem. That's right. They're starting with human reason, Absolutely. so the question is, where is your starting point? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, again, it comes down to the authority and the sufficiency of God's Word. Right. And again, when I was in the Grand Canyon this summer, as I mentioned to Ken earlier, it was fascinating the things that you could see in the the rock layers. You could see, you know, all sorts of things from the fossils. You know, again, when you when you go there, uh, again, the reason that I asked the question about the importance of the Grand Canyon is because uh, the rock layers have been opened up for us in this canyon. And so there are things that are exposed that would not typically be exposed right. had it not been for the opening up of this canyon. And when you see these rock layers and you see what's beneath them and in between them, and you see all of these fossils and you see these marine life animals, these sponges or an octopus or you know these vertebrae these these animals these 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 various different types of marine fish that certainly never lived in the Colorado River right. and so it, it totally contradicts what's being taught by the you know the, the park service up on the rim of the Grand mm-hmm. Canyon when they say that that water down beneath in in the Colorado River is what carved out the canyon because when you see the, the the fossil record, it just points us back to Genesis. Yeah. So we have to believe that the Bible is is accurate and that it's authoritative and sufficient. But it is a beautiful thing when you can read in the scriptures and then you can look out at general revelation or the evidence of the flood, the global flood, or the evidence of God's judgment on planet Earth, as we can see in the Grand Canyon, and it just once again proves that the Bible is true. I just love it. Every time that someone unearths something, you know, in the Middle East, or whether you continue to see rock layers exposed in the Grand Canyon, it screams that the Bible is actually true. Absolutely. So we should believe it. And, you know, when you see this attack 
on Genesis 1 through 11, we should be sensitive to this. And one of the regrets that I have in pastoral ministry is that just assuming that conservative Christians actually get this right. right. We should not assume this. We should, as pastors, teach this, and we should teach this, even if we've been serving in our church for decades, because there have been many new people come into the life of the church, and you can't just go through ministry assuming that everyone gets Genesis 1 through 11 right. And so I just love, you know, the way Luther uh, addressed this issue. You think about how people attack the word yom and how they say, well, the word day, it, it shouldn't be taken literally. It could mean millions and millions and millions of years. This is what Luther said. He said, quote, when Moses writes that God created heaven and earth and whatever is in them in six days, then let this period continue to have been six days and do not venture to devise any comment according to which six days were one day. But if you cannot understand how this could have been done in six days, then grant the Holy Spirit the honor of being more learned than you are. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah. It's a very good yeah, the whole The whole trying to make a day more than a day yeah. uh, does not, you might be able to cram that into Genesis 1, but not in the rest of Scripture. And yeah. that I think that was Ken's point yeah. In, yeah. The, in the context of how that, that, that is used. I mean, especially something like the fourth commandment, yep. which roots the very commandment in the reality Absolutely. of literal days. Mm-hmm. And so if you, like we've been saying, if you give up the literalness of Genesis 1, you have to end up, it's like you're, you're pushing a domino and there's, thousands of dominoes that begin to fall, you have to give up the historicity and the truthfulness of so much of our theology and doctrine in Scripture. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, we're, see, we're seeing that time and time again. As, as I think through what uh, I kind of underwent in school, being exposed to evolution and uh, those ideas around, you know, w- w- the primordial ooze that we're su- <laughs> supposed to come out of and, and all of that, you think about that. Kids are, have been exposed to that for, for years and years and years. And so it, it would be ignorant of any one of us as church leaders to think that we didn't have a responsibility to teach young people and adults uh, how to uh, deal with these issues, how to address those issues. I, I think that becomes incredibly important. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and we hope that this podcast has been a help to you. And, and we, of course, would hope that you would share it with other people you know, within your circle of influence on social media with your family. But always remember this. When you hear someone saying millions and millions and millions or billions of years, just always let that be a reminder that that's an assault on the very word of the living God. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining us. We want you to like, subscribe, share this podcast with others. And we want to thank you for joining us on this edition of the G3 Podcast.